Welcome to Dermalogs, a podcast made possible by a grant from AbbVie through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Hi, welcome to Dermalogs, Season 3. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Purdy. For those of you who are new to this podcast, I'm a dermatologist who works in Halifax. I'm now full-time academic at Dalhousie University. As residents, you don't always get a chance to hear from dermatologists outside your centre, and this podcast is designed to change some of that. The goal of this series is to help you, the dermatology residents, get answers from expert dermatologists across the country to some of your burning questions on key areas of our practice. And today we're going to focus on aesthetics. I'm really happy to have Dr. Julia Carroll as our guest. Dr. Carroll is the founder of Compass Dermatology in Toronto, where she's built a reputation for her ethical and natural approach to beauty. She's also a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons and an active member of the Canadian Dermatology Association. She's on staff at the University of Toronto Medical School. Julia, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Looking forward to this. Me too. You know, I always like to talk to people that I know are going to give a lot of tips and pearls. And I will say, uh, I still have a few tips and pearls that I've taken from you from various conferences that are saved as favorites on my phone. And I bring them up regularly to the residents to say, this is Dr. Carol's Kligman formula. This is Ah, what Dr. Carol does for melasma. So that's really nice to hear. (laughs) I'm glad to have you here to talk in (laughs) virtually in person. So What I wanted to talk about mainly was the concept of how you do an aesthetic practice and or, you know, how to incorporate aesthetics into your practice. And so, you know, maybe take me back to earlier days in your practice when you were building Compass. Um, How did you decide how much aesthetics you wanted to do and how did you kind of get down that road in the first place, I guess? Well, I think probably like most physicians, I didn't really have a plan. Um, You know, it was sort of, um, I was in practices as an associate where uh, it was a mix of aesthetics and medical. And so you could, you know, tell by the space that that was an offering and people would ask me. Um, So, you know, I would just dabble in a little bit of Botox, a little bit of filler. And, um, and then I found that I really enjoyed that side of the practice. I think my personality is well suited to it. It's, you know, something I'm interested in and something that I was good at. And so I made a decision that I did want to try to incorporate a bit more. So, you know, I sought extra training and um, I'm not really good at bringing it up with patients. I know some physicians do that. I'm a little (laughs) more passive that way. But I think one of the biggest things is to describe what I think I did wrong at the beginning. And so, yes, that would be great. Yeah. For residents, what they would should not do. And so that is trying to squeeze in. Um, you know, a Botox in between a medical. So, you know, you've got a stacked day, like I double book my medicals. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then someone comes in and says, Oh, I want to do Botox. And so maybe the question, first question is, I want to do Botox. And so you do like a quick little conversation. And I I would usually try to book them back, or I might just do a little bit because I'm pressed for time. Um, And then as I got rolling, you know, people would actually start to book for Botox or fillers. And I I found, I looked back at my practice, I thought everyone is doing Botox or neuromodulator and and the filler part really isn't taking off. But that was my fault because they would say, oh, do you think I need filler today? And I'd look at my schedule, I'd look at my watch, I'd be like, no, no, you're (laughs) great. No, you don't need it. And, And then I had this kind of epiphany where I thought, you know, that's not doing that patient a service because... I'm an expert. They come to me for my opinion. I'm a doctor. I'm looking at them. I'm making a diagnosis. And if I think based on the goals that we have discussed in the past, that they actually do need a little filler, then it's actually inappropriate for me to tell them that they don't because I'm running behind. So 
then I sort of said, okay, well, how do I fix that problem? So the solution is to start to be really strict about when you're having, you can have a quick chat with someone, but say, you know what, I really would love to spend some time with you and I'd like to book a consultation in, you know, and then also for Botox and fillers, you want to have like chunks of time in your schedule where um, maybe it's a, you know, a slower day and you're booking people half an hour, 45 minutes, even an hour to start with. So you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I would say is you say, you say to yourself, maybe it's Friday afternoons. People like to get work done usually on Friday afternoons. So Right. Because, you know, the odd person <laughs> Have gets the weekend. The to, uh, yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And so you book off that Friday afternoon and you tell the staff to, you know, ideally book them in from one o'clock down. But here's the thing. If that doesn't fill up, you could always fill it with medical or mm-hmm. maybe you just take a little time for yourself. <laughs> Unheard that. of. I know. I know. <laughs> so that would be my biggest tip is to just block off chunks and then keep expanding those chunks till, till you get to the point where you have the balance of the practice that you like. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really great point, you know, rather than trying to squeeze it in and, and not do a fulsome job, blocking off chunks of time um, is great. And and obviously over the years, you probably have noticed that patient preferences to have a time closer to the end of the week when they might have some recovery uh, time built in naturally. Yeah, everyone's different because for some people, their weekends are when they're more social. And so maybe they want to do things on Monday so that they're, you know, good for Friday. Um, and then we just try not to bruise our patients as much as possible. That's, <laughs> that's the goal. That part too. <laughs> Any other huge uh, no-nos that you think you did starting practice? Um, I think we'd be treating patients that I knew were not going to have a good outcome. Maybe not from that, like the actual procedure, but from you know what their expectation was. Mm-hmm. Um, and classically, that would be a patient who comes in and maybe they, you know, they'll they'll tell you all the doctors that they didn't like and didn't do a good job for them. And I'm sure you see this on the medical side too, mm-hmm. right? And in your head yes. you're like, well, they're a really good physician. And so if they didn't help you, you know, I'm, at first you have a bit of a hero complex and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to help you. <laughs> but I think over the years you think, well, if this person, this person, this person couldn't make you happy, then I, I probably am not going to be able to either. So I think saying no right off the bat is hard, but it's the best no you'll ever give. You know, I remember somebody telling me way back, I saw Dr. Such and Such and they weren't very nice. And I thought to myself, okay, this patient definitely is the issue because this is one of the nicest humans that I interact with. And so I think that's a great um, point too, you know, rather than take that, I'm going to fix it, Mm -hmm. uh, take that moment to go, wait a second. I think this might be a great time to take one of the questions from the residents. the world headquarters of the Dermalogs podcast. Hi, Dermalogs. My name is Marcus Tan from the University of Ottawa. My question for Dr. Carroll is, how did you decide what parts of the aesthetic dermatology practice you wanted to incorporate? And did you add to this over time or have you kept to it more or less the same? Thank you. I mean, I think the bread and butter of aesthetics uh, on the physician side is neuromodulator and filler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, we add different things. I know some doctors like to do their own laser and they like to do a lot of laser. For me, it's not something I, I enjoy doing. Um, you know, I'll come in and do a little bit here and there and I certainly keep up to date on the devices that we have, but right. I like to take a more supervisor, uh, supervisory role, um, for that. But certainly if someone has a, like an interest in lasers, that's something that you can bring in. Um, 
you know, we do, and it's just things that I have a passion for. So, you know, acne scarring is something I really enjoy. And so we have, um, you know, offerings in terms of laser, but TCA cross is something that I incorporated into my practice because, um, you know, I just, if they're a population that I enjoy helping. Um, and then recently we've also included, um, threads. Um, so, um, suture threads. That's been great. So it's just, you kind of dabble in things and you see what your patients like. I take a lot of, you know, cues from my patients where they're asking me about what are the issues that they have that we're not able to address. And then that's where I'll sort of explore a new area and see if it's something that I can add to our armamentarium. So threads, there's an interesting area. I mean, I've heard a little bit about it, but as I don't really have an aesthetic practice, I don't really know the details. So how did you decide to add that in? Did And, and in terms of like adding that in, did you do courses or work with somebody? How did you kind of like get that off the ground, I guess? So I think threads have been an interesting journey in Canada. Um, years ago, we had barbed threads and there was some issues around those. I think they were pulled off the market. And though some people were still sort of dabbling in threads, it definitely wasn't mainstream. Um, mm -hmm. And then they, they started to, uh, they were available in the U.S. So there's um, new threads that um, were, were, didn't have the same issues as the, as the old barb threads. So there's PLLA threads and there's PDO threads. In Canada, it's only the PLLA threads that are approved. So that's what we're doing in our office. Um, so they're called suture okay. lifts or thread lifts. And so in terms of how, so we were watching it in the U.S. and we'd been in touch with the company. We reached out and said, look, when they come to Canada, let us know. And then as soon as they were approved, we, we got in touch with the company, but it was COVID. So um, it was actually a bit of an ordeal. We couldn't do our usual, which would be to go to a conference in the U.S. or fly, go to someone's practice who had a lot of experience. So um, they did have a trainer and it's been a, a bit of a more of an uphill battle than um, we would like. But, you know, as derms, we have good surgical skills. So I think it's something mm -hmm. that we can pick up pretty naturally. Um, and then, you know, it's just kind of low and slow, be conservative with your treatments, picking the right patients. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's not a huge part of my practice, but it's something that I do enjoy. And it's that little extra that, um, you're not going to get from this Medispa down the street. Well, exactly. Now let's take another question from a resident. Hi, Dermalogs. My name is Nico McClellan from the University of Toronto. My question for Dr. Carroll is... Do you have any recommendations on courses, resources, or books that you suggest we look into to learn more about aesthetics outside of what we get in our program? For sure. I think for one of the things is as residents, I do think it's important to push your programs to include these things in the program. Not everyone has to include these in their, in their practice, but I think as dermatologists, a lot of these treatments are treatments that were founded by dermatologists and um, our mainstay in, in dermatology practice. And so I think we, it needs to be a significant part of our residency programs so that, you know, that it's, that it's, it's mainstream for us to at least know about it. Just like, you know, I don't do a phototherapy in my office, but I'm really familiar with the concepts of phototherapy. So I always tell my residents, I don't care if you end up doing this right. in your practice, but I want you to be able to answer the question at the Thanksgiving dinner table when someone says, how does that Botox work? You know, you need to be able to answer that question intelligently. Because it will come up. Yeah, right. over and over yes. again. Yeah. You know, there's, there's great courses. Um, ASDS has some courses. AAD has some courses. Mm -hmm. Industry is a great way to learn. You know, they have trainers that, that come in. But I would say my, one of the best ways that I learn now is with colleagues. 
Um, so, you know, we did, uh, we were actually doing some threads at our office yesterday afternoon and one of our colleagues is trying to learn and, you know, she was asking Lisa questions. I said, look, why don't you come in in the afternoon and you can just watch us. And, um, so she came over and, and just hung out with us for the afternoon, just another local dermatologist. When I travel, if I have a colleague or, or someone that I, you know, look up to, um, you know, someone who I would want to be mentored to or I, mentored by, I'll reach out and just say, hey, I'm a dermatologist from Toronto. I'm in town. Is there any way that I could spend a day with you? And they often say yes, especially if you have a, a connection, if you know somebody that knows them. Um, and and then, you know, your local dermatologist, like I have lots of residents in their last year or, or their first year out of practice will just ask to come for the day. Lots of plastic surgeons have come through my office as well. And um, I think we're a great community and a lot of people are, are open to that. I mean, I, I feel like the better we all are. You know, it, it's been amazing over the last few years, having asked a variety of people out of the blue to do things, how many people really are just willing to say, yeah, sure. And I, I think your uh, point is well taken. It is a really small community and people are generally happy to help out and, and share the wealth of knowledge. So that's awesome. I think that's a really great tip for the residents. You mentioned TCA uh, cross earlier do you mean like um, do you mean like peels or tell me a bit about that because I feel totally naive so TCA cross is uh, the cross stands for chemical reconstruction of skin scars and um, you use TCA trichloracetic acid um, and it's really great for the ice pick scars because those they tend to be okay. the deeper ones um, they, they don't you, you can't fill them um, laser sometimes doesn't get them because they're a little bit deeper. It, it will help, but it doesn't get them entirely. Um, and it's not like the, you know, the tethered scars that you can, um, that you can subsize. Um, so it's great for those ice pick scars and you basically take 99 or 100% TCA, a tiny little bit. Um, there's different techniques. The most common one would be to put it on, um, the end of a, um, like a sharp toothpick. You just dip, I get a little, um, like a little surgical cup, put the TCA in, and then you just basically, you're creating a mini chemical peel inside that scar. Um, it creates injury and then it, it sticks together. Um, and it's not a procedure That's that, cool. a, yeah, not a lot of people do it. And, and, you know, the acne scar community is very well read and very well connected on Reddit and Facebook. And, um, and I think we have a bit of a reputation at our office because we get a lot of people coming in specifically for that. Um, so it's, you have to do training on it there, you know, they can get some PIH, um, but that combined with, you know, with acne scars, you have to do multiple different types of treatments. There's not a one fit you know, one, one treatment that hits all scars, but TCA cross is, is cool. That is cool. Yeah. I learned something new. Awesome. Um, now when you were setting, <laughs> when you, uh, when you shifted your, your practice into sort of dividing up more medical versus aesthetic, what kind of people did you think to yourself? I need these people on my team. Like, do you use much in the way of physician extenders or do you tend to do like all the injections? Like, you know, when you go to compass, you get Dr. Carol or what's the, so our, current approach is that all the injectables are done by physicians only. Um, and okay. so we, we, we like that model. That's what we're comfortable with. And so the first thing person we added, so we had, um, even from the beginning when we opened Compass, we had um, a laser esthetician, just one. And we had one person on the front right. desk, pretty small. And I would actually say, like, we have a lot of people now, like 12, 13, 14 people. It's not a bad model to keep it small. Don't always think that growing huge is the best way to go because you more... <laughs> you know, more staff is more management. And 
So I'm envious. I have a colleague in Toronto and she just says like her and, um, and she has a front desk person and two treatment rooms in a little cute waiting room. And I think, oh, that looks really nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, the first person, so we had laser esthetician from the beginning and, um, and she sold skincare as well and awesome front desk. Who's now our manager. But then the first person, next person we brought in was a nurse who helped us at the bedside. So that allowed us to be more efficient. They could drop the Botox, they could take the photos, they could kind of go in and get things rolling with the patient. Um, so mm-hmm. for us, that's been been really helpful. And do you get your nurse to do, say, most of the post-care talks with the patient or do you do you work that into your consultation piece? It depends. So it, if we sometimes it depends on who's the rate limiting step. Um, so sometimes it's trying to get me out of the room because I have to be somewhere and then they'll, she'll stay behind and do it. And sometimes they, they need to go and get photos done on the next patient. Um, and so I'll say, you know what, just go on ahead and, and I'll just, uh, you know, cause I'm chatty with my patients. So sometimes they actually like to have that door closed, like gossip session for five or, you know, they'd like it to be 10 <laughs> minutes, but five minutes of catching up and then out the door. So it's a, it's a fluid situation, I would say. And so you mentioned photos. Do you do photos on all your aesthetic patients? Yes, we are, um, very diligent with our photos. So they come in, they get photos done and then, and then I see them. And often I like to look at the photos with when I'm trying to decide the next treatment, I'll also discuss it with the patient in the room, but Mm -hmm. patients will, you know, they distort their faces. Like, you know, if if I'm going to take a picture of you, you're going to raise up your eyebrows and smile and you kind of like make love to the camera, you know, or the (laughs) mirror and it's not what you look like. So you need to see people in animation and you need to see them static. So I like to do like, I look at the static with kind of a, it's like a no judgment passport kind of photo and right. and then move on. So yeah, you, you'd want my RBF is what you're telling me. Yeah, I want it in full yeah. effect to really get to, <laughs> to see where the where the real flaws are up in here. <laughs> there are no um, flaws, very pretty. <laughs> oh, I thank you for saying that. Your checks in the mail. Just kidding. Um, but uh, so one of the things I'm always thinking about, and you made this point. So you know, you started on a, with a smaller amount, you got bigger. Um, how do you balance that? A piece where you you know you have staff you have to pay them um, people are coming in there you know there's certain there's things that you're providing that are not OHIP covered like how do you kind of balance out the the cost that the patient pays for the procedure to the cost of the people that you need to employ to kind of keep things going how do you do you have an approach to that or just say, kind of... when I figure it out I'll let you know <laughs> I mean we don't oh learn... I see okay yeah. okay. I mean, I look again, I made lots of mistakes over the years in terms of, you know, probably way undercharging for things. Um, right. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of spreadsheets. So every once in a while, I kind of think, does this make sense? And then I just make a spreadsheet and I kind of play around with different numbers. Um, you know, we're actually right now we've brought a consultant into our practice. And so we're doing like some deeper dives into things. Um, I'm really lucky too. So I saw my uh, practice partner is Dr. Sonia Cook and you know, she's really good at, she, you know, she does the payroll and, um, she's kind of on top of the HR stuff. So I love having a partner because I like having someone to bounce ideas off of. I like sharing the, the burden and the successes. Yeah, that works well for me. So, and you know, I think it's like, you just kind of learn as you go. There's lots of outside resources. You can always get consultants in and different people speak to smart business people, you know, because at the end of the day, whether you're selling a widget or you're selling a filler or you're selling a laser, 
there's some common concepts there. So if you have people that run businesses that you think are successful, you, it's easy to have those conversations. I, I, re, I actually relied a lot on my dad at the beginning for like, you know, cause he was in business for years and years. So just to get information on how to deal with staff and, and how to incentivize people. Right. Yeah. So that leads me, okay, I want to come back to that, but I did want to ask about um, price point for aesthetic procedures. And so like, it doesn't have to be detailed here, but I guess, how do you, how did you come to what your price list would be? You mentioned you probably undercharged the beginning, which a lot of people do. It probably varies depending on the region with where you are, like in terms of, so do you, do you guys all kind of in the GTA, do you kind of get together and be like, what are you charging for this? Or how did you come up with that? metric I guess so there is some conversation like I have some idea of what my colleagues charge and you could always call you know anonymously and ask around um, I think it depends what city you're in whether you're a specialist what area of the city you're in like what's and what kind of are you looking for you know we describe our practice as high touch high value you get a lot of my time um, we want it to be um, not to feel rushed. It's more of a luxurious experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we think there's value in that versus some people that just want to, you know, do $8 a unit neuromodulator and have people every 15 minutes. That's a different approach. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just not what I enjoy. Um, I think at the beginning you want it, you probably charge a, a little bit less um, just till you kind of get experience and get a reputation. Um, right. And, and also, you know, there's other things like, for example, back to the acne scars, I think I probably undercharge for treating acne scars, but it's something that I, I, I enjoy. I feel for that population of patients. I find it tends to be younger people that maybe don't have the same kind of resources. And so I, I, I'm very reasonable in that area because I'm, I'm happy to treat those patients. Yeah. So you, it's the same thing. Like, I think when I was a resident, someone said, you know, if there's something you really like to do, charge less for it and do lots of it. You'll be happy. If there's something you hate doing, then it's just, you know, you can set the price high. So if you really have to do it, at least it's worth your while. That is good advice. So I wanted to loop back to something you just said earlier when you were talking about, you know, ensuring that you look at a good business model and talking about incentives. And so do you have sort of an incentive set up for your employees or is that not part of your your practice? Yeah, we do. So we do commissions on skincare sales and um, and lasers, uh, cool sculpting. Um, and, you know, there's different models. I think we're I think we're on the higher end of what we commission. But um, it's interesting because I've had different staff over the years and I had, you know, one staff member that I was trying to motivate. Um, you know, so we changed the commission and we had uh, something called an accelerator. So it's like, if you hit this target, then anything over that, you get an additional, you know, X percent, but it didn't actually change that person's behavior. Hmm. And then, you know, we have, uh, new people in the office now that are just really motivated and love what they do. They want to be busy all the time. And I feel that it's the same thing. I don't think adding that extra actually changed their behavior. So I think you just want to make sure that staff are well compensated. Um, and there's other ways that you can incentivize staff. It's not just around money. So it could be right. educational opportunities, leadership opportunities. I published some papers with um, one of my staff members who's excellent at cool sculpting. Um, you know, we try to have a lot of fun. We try to, um, we have like compass kudos where with a little like mailbox and and if, it, if someone does something kind or helpful to another staff member that goes in the box, we read it out at the staff meetings. There's lots. I don't think it's always about money. 
I agree with you on that. And you mentioned something that I I wanted to ask about too, which is that sort of, you know, how do you build the team? And so it sounds like you have staff meetings, which are probably invaluable. And COVID may be putting a bit of a a damper on things. But do you guys tend to do team building exercises or sort of wellness things together as a group? And do you think that helps? I do. I think communication is really important. Um, We have a Monday meeting, uh, most Mondays, and just to kind of run through the day, we like look and see how far we're booking out, you know, any little things, talk about any upcoming like clinic closures, whatever, uniform reminders, whatever it happens to be. Um, We do that. And then another thing that we introduced um, we sort of went through an exercise and, and we, we made a mission statement and operating norms and, and, and values. Um, and when we introduced that, we also introduced um, what we call Compass College, which is the last Wednesday of every month. We, we shut the office to patients. Um, we order in a nice lunch and we have uh, teaching uh, for two or three hours. Well, it's not, it's not two. It depends on what it is. Sometimes it's an hour. If we could do something like a CPR course, it might take all afternoon. It might be part of the group that has teaching and everyone else just has lunch and then they go back to just catching up. Um, but, and the staff will give us ideas. Like, you know, they wanted to learn about acne and rosacea. They wanted to know like, what's a seborrheic keratosis? What's an act? Cause all the front desk staff, they don't know what those things are. Right. Right. What are right. common questions we're going to get people that are on Accutane? you know, what's Botox, what's filler. And so we, we do those sorts of things. Um, and that's been really helpful to just keep everyone connected, but I do miss the like team events. Yeah, that sounds awesome actually. And I think it probably really does help bring the team together. And I think it's really great to, um, you know, to show them that you value their opinion and that they are part of the team. And so, you know, if everyone is educated, you want everybody in your office to to be elevated in terms of their education. The person who answers the phone is probably the very most important person um, because if, if someone gets a bad impression from that person and that person's not knowledgeable, then they may hang up or they just may never quite trust the process, you know. So mm-hmm. that it's really important that every member, you know, has a good basic knowledge of what goes on in that office. I completely agree. Um, and it's interesting how the interactions that your patients will have, I think this is, is a, a, for every um, physician, but you know, every interaction they have is reflected upon you in some way, even in situations where, you know, I'm academic, and I don't have control over most of the people that work with me. But uh, regardless, uh, patients will judge the interaction with whoever, um, and it'll reflect upon me. So I think it's when you get to have that choice, you can make some really impactful choices with the right people. Yeah, because whatever they say, whatever yeah. your staff says, it's like it came out of your mouth, right? right. It's, it's the same. Yeah. So they have to, everyone has to know that. That's the, that's the downside of lack of control at academia, but that's a whole nother topic. I also kind of wanted to just, I mean, this isn't, this isn't sort of strictly related to aesthetics by any stretch, but you know, I I just want to talk a little bit about social media presence because I know that you um, have a very uh, nice and curated social media presence um, where you provide videos and education uh, for patients. And so how did you get into social media and how do you kind of manage that part of your professional persona, I guess. It takes a lot of work. Right now I have someone that actually helps me on the, um, on the back end. So we, we come up with ideas for content and then, um, he'll come into my office and we'll shoot a series of videos and take some photographs. Um, 
but it's it's not easy. I'm envious. There's a lot of people that in Durham that seem to do it on their own. I'm not sure if they are or it just appears that way. Um, but I think, you know, I would say if people are thinking of getting into it, um, the big things are you want to be authentic. So sort of figure out what your messaging is, what you what your angle is. And it, it, you can hone it over time. But, you know, like, for example, Dr. Pimple Popper, you know, that's a clearly there's a very clear um, theme there. Um, other people really are into talking about products um, in Ontario. We're really constrained by what we're allowed to actually have on our on our Instagram. We're not allowed to discuss specific products. So that's a little bit frustrating. Um, not everyone follows the rules, but we try to. And, you know, in terms of social media, I think decide what you want your messaging to be. Decide if you want to put the time in or you want to have somebody else involved. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. But if you do have someone involved, you can't just let them run with it. It has to be authentic because if someone meets you on Instagram and then they come into your office and you're a totally different person, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't gel well with the patient. You have to be the same you know, maybe a curated you on Instagram, but they have to recognize you and your personality when they meet you. Right. I think that's a really fair point. Um, now thinking about social media and then transition over to more traditional media, you know, I know, um, obviously we've, we've seen you on uh, a variety of different media platforms. When you decide to do those type of things, I suspect your advice would be the same, which is like, be authentic and think of your message. But did you do any formal media training or anything like that before you decided to um, like do some of these interviews with various entities? Way back when, when I was an undergrad, I was the president of the students union. And so we did get uh, formal media training um, as part of that. So I think maybe that's what maybe not intimidated at least to, to do some of this media. Um, and then when you work with companies, um, they will do some media training with you as well. So, you know, if you're partnering with, say, my first partnership was with Vaseline. Um, and then you kind of just get the hang of it. I think the big thing is if you get a call to do media, decide if you if you want that to be something, a topic you're associated with because you'll mm-hmm. get calls on it, right? So if, do you want to talk about hair loss? Do you want to talk about hydradenitis operativa? Do you want to talk about like a bad outcome of Botox that some celebrity had? So you have to decide. Um, it's I think it's totally fair to ask the reporter to send you questions ahead and just say, you know, they're going to go just like, you know, you gave me some idea of what we we're going to talk about, but we go off on tangents, which is again, authentic. So ask for the questions ahead and um, and then don't let them put you, don't let them get you to say something you don't want to say. If they ask you a question and you don't want to answer it, you know, you can look up these things called bridging statements and we won't belabor the point here, but you, you can, <laughs> you can see like you watch Barack Obama be interviewed and he'll say, you know, they'll ask him a question and he'll just say, look, and then he just pivots and says something totally different <laughs> that he wants to say. So you can do that. You know, uh, I like, that's a great tip. And I, you know, yeah, I think you're right. You don't want to be, you don't, I guess, I always think to myself, like, what if this was on the front page of a newspaper or like, is this the thing that's going to come back into some type of viral meme of me saying something, you know, that I don't really agree with. So yeah. it's important to think about what's coming out of your mouth, I guess. Not that I always do that, to be fair. Well, to but don't be too hard on yourself because the other thing is, you know, you're going to pull up the news clip and read every word and say, oh my gosh, I didn't mean exactly that. 
and then Extra or critical. Yeah, you're going to watch yourself on TV and say, "Oh, why did I?" You know, but people are, you know, they're brushing their teeth in the morning and they're half listening to the news and they're like, uh, the, all the phone calls I get were, "Oh my gosh, I loved your outfit." I'm like, really? <laughs> but I was talking about cancer. <laughs> did you learn anything? No, so they like, liked your outfit. No, but where did you get those earrings? Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, <laughs> face slap. <laughs> Oh my. Oh, the last thing I really want to talk, like, I'm, I'm cognizant of using up all your time, but I, the last thing I want to talk about, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, which is like, you know, carrying some products and things like that. I guess I'm just wondering, how did you in your office decide uh, what type of lines or products you wanted to have um, available for, for patients? Yeah, that's a good question because there's a lot that's out there. Um, I think there's a few different ways you can look at it. You can look at things that you already know and love because if you are if it's a brand that you personally use, it's much easier to discuss it with patients and share your successes with uh, your personal successes with the patients. Also just look at your patient population. What is it that they need? You know, are you, is it a younger population that maybe you have to make sure you have something that, um, you know, can support some of our prescription acne products. So maybe benzoyl peroxide washes, salicylic acid, um, different, you know, cleansers. So, you can look at that. Um, you said older population that's more interested in, you know, positive aging products. Um, so, and then, you know, I just think it's the same as everyone always asks me, how do you know which filler company to go with? Pick one or two, get to know those lines, figure out what you like, figure out what that's missing, and then go look for something that can fill in those gaps. But don't try to do it all at once. That's really good advice, I think. I, I always even... <laughs> not the same at all but I guess when I have you know uh, family medicine residents come through I'll say pick one steroid in each of the main classes pick one in between that's all you need to remember like there's not you don't have to know the thousand different topical corticosteroid options like you just need a few and then if there's something that doesn't fit then yeah then you go well what else would be in that category or what else might work yeah I do the same thing with the steroids just pick your four and then go from there (laughs) Do it and then add as needed. Uh, like, I wish I could apply that to myself with purchasing shoes, but I somehow <laughs> can never just stop myself. So I feel you there. If you have any tips on that, because I know you've got some pretty nice shoes, Dr. Carol, I wouldn't mind uh, getting into your shoe closet. Yeah, no, I, I'm not I'm well, not good advice on the uh, on decreasing shoe, uh, shoe purchases. <laughs> no Marie Kondo's here. Um, <laughs> listen, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me to pass on some of these great pearls to the residents. Um, I really appreciate it. Great conversation. And I will take this opportunity to put a little plug in. Uh, I think they are online for the uh, Canadian dermatology residents. You can log on to your member portal on uh, dermatology.ca and you can find the uh, cosmetic and procedural series that Dr. Carol and Dr. Ladha um, designed in the earlier COVID times of 2020, which is an awesome series. So you can still watch those recordings. And, you know, again, on, I uh, I think that's a great resource for residents to have julia so I'm, I'm really glad you guys put that together oh thanks for having me um and yeah it was an honor to be part of that project so thank you yet again i'm gonna stop talking and i'm just gonna move on to our extra and say if you enjoyed this please give us a five-star rating review us on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and that's it for this episode of dermalogs thanks for joining us until next time i'm dr carrie purdy Thank you.